Gaming on the Frontier. This is Bruce. This is Trav. This is Jonathan. Welcome to Gaming on the Frontier, your podcast of coming up with scary ideas that hopefully you haven't heard before. Well, I haven't heard of them before, so new to me. Yeah, and I'm not a psychic, so. <laughs> this week we are doing another Iron GM episode where we take a bunch of random stuff. I want to get I'm not going to denigrate it, and turn them into some kind of role-playing adventure for you to flesh out and hopefully have a lot of fun with. Because it's October, we are going to do a horror-themed one. You know, Now, we're not going to talk about all the things that go into making a good horror episode, and, and, and frankly, it's, it depends an awful lot on your game system. There are very few game systems, I think, really carry forward horror well, but even if your game system is more of an investigatory horror, or body horror, or um, action horror, you know, much like Ghostbusters, or even a comedic horror, much like Ghostbusters, and uh, a number of other zombie-type films. Uh, hopefully, you'll get something good out of what we're about to do. So, following our standard format, um, I have randomly, and I do mean randomly, uh, rolled up uh, uh, different locations in the United States, since we're basically doing Bureau 13. Uh, I Well, we're not doing Bureau 13 so much as... it's. It was inspired for you know by Bureau 13 and therefore in the United States. You can put in Canada if you want to, or Australia, or wherever else you're from. Okay, don't you know? And then the second one uh, is a random object generator that has to be incorporated in some meaningful way into the adventure. Then we have a random, um, uh, let's see, a uh, a random person, uh, which I have run. Using the fakepersongenerator.com. Oh, I think I you showed us that site before. Yeah. Yeah. And it then comes up with like histories and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And then uh I also have chosen a random mon uh, monster whatever to deal with. Okay. Since uh, uh normally we don't do that, we just let the, the, the GM go with it, but we were like doing it for fringe worthy, but since it's beer thirteen, it helps an awful lot to kind of narrow that down. So I've done that. All right. So what we and so after I we get out the information, answer any salient questions, uh, we are going to then pause the recording for twenty minutes. Uh, so which of course you won't notice. And while we work on our adventures, and then we're going to come back and do our very best to sell them <laughs> to each other, and hopefully you, the listener, as what you want to do on your next, um, you know you know, next adventure you might want to run, hopefully this month. Anyways, all right, so starting off with the uh, the city generator, uh, Trav, roll me a D3. I just happen to have my 
dice app on my phone. You don't have real, actual physical dice? They're not within reach, but my phone is. <laughs> Three. Baltimore, Maryland. Uh-huh. All right. Roll me a D2, Jonathan. Come on, Jonathan. Flip a coin. Do something. Yeah, flip a coin. Yeah. Two. Two. Okay, you have Long Beach, California, which means I have Corpus Christi, Texas. All right, let's do the object next. All right, uh, since I rolled up five things, somebody roll me a, D, uh, a D4. I got it. Four. Sunglasses. Okay, Jonathan? You say a D4? I said a D4, sir. Two. Bottle of paint. Bottle of paint, okay. I have a wooden spoon. And remember, this has to be meaningful in the adventure. Okay, random person generator. Uh, roll me a D3. Okay, three. All right. Uh, I will cut and paste all this into into the thing, but your uh, your person is Jerry P. Muse. He is a male, white, uh, 40 years old, lives in, well, it says Stillwater, Oklahoma, but you could put it in the town. I think it would be in the town. Uh, anyways, uh, let's see what it says about him. He works full-time uh, as a purchasing manager for... Um, Okay, uh, he has uh, and personal information. He has five family members. He drives a I can't even pronounce it. It's French. Uh, Peugeot. Peugeot. Yes. Peugeot. Hey, look at that. His on his online tag uh, tagline is um, uh, "PE ads make car rides awkward." I'm not going to say what PE means. It's always boring somewhere in the world. Oh. Okay, and yeah, yeah, yeah. he's a award-winning organizer, social media enthusiast, TV buff, amateur, amateur internet evangelist, and a coffee aficionado. <coughs> we'll leave it at that. There's a lot more stuff that you can that I'll, I'll give you. All right. Anyways, it's it's a whole page of stuff. Yeah. All right, roll me a D two there, uh, Jonathan. Two again. All right. You have Stephen Rubin, a uh, 51-year-old white male, uh, and uh, he is uh, he is a oral and maxillofacial surgeon. He's currently on a leave of absence. Drives a Mercedes-Benz. Says he hopes his marriage can make it through another season of disagreement over the pronunciation of pecan. Oh, good for <laughs> He's a music junkie, certified TV practitioner, whatever that means. Uh, avid zombie scholar, food geek, internet trailblazer, coffee aficionado, webaholic, social media guru, and bacon lover. All right. His username, by the way, is Porkchop97. 
Uh, okay. All right. My person is Mildred Nichols, female, 64 years old. Let's see here. She is a technical writer. She makes less money than all the rest of you guys, and that's that just shows you the the you know the 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 salary you know thing. <laughs> Randomly rolled up a woman, and she makes less than either of the other two guys. All right. Uh, she works in the arts, design, entertainment, sports, and media industry. She's uh, her online status is. You know, you should respect women who know how to run, uh, roll badass blunts. <laughs> She's a beer enthusiast, zombie fanatic, extreme music lover. Now, is that a lover of extreme music or she's really extremely a music lover? Yeah, see, that's a little ambiguous. Here. Yes, that's okay. That's what, that's what the, the whole thing is about. Student, explorer, alcohol nerd, uh, uh, avid social media advocate. See, now, if they just would have moved the comma a little bit, her interests are genealogy, jewelry-making, uh, meditation. I would have preferred genealogy, jewelry, and making meditation. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, so that's my person. All right, now, this is where the rubber hits the road. The, 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 the thing that's happening, okay? The roll boss me a D du jour, yeah. Roll me a D3. One. Ancient artifacts. These items range from simple gold treasures of the Aztecs to the technological wonders of many lost civilizations. Many of these items are harmless household items, but a few could be highly powerful or dangerous. Some of these items are linked to powerful forces that could trigger an avalanche of unusual happenings. Some things are keys and linkages to other devices or Howard powers. Modern archaeology is skeptical of things that don't fit into the known history of the world and prone to shelving or ignoring these items. You have ancient artifacts, sir. All right. All right. Jonathan? D2. D2. One. Classic mythological monsters. Including in this classification are a vast list of monsters of humanoids that are a basis of human myth and legend. Creatures like the Medusa, Hydra, uh, Pegasi, Cyclops, and more. And I get werewolves. But I have to roll a, uh, I have to roll a D4 here. And number two, human man-wolf. I have a human man-wolf. All right. Sounds like love. <laughs> Upright man, covered with fur, claws, pointy ears, and a bad attitude. Sounds like my high school gym teacher. Yes, the, the four choices were werewolves, wolf type, werewolves, human, man, wolf, werewolves, human, wolf, fusion. Upright, but looks more like a humanoid wolf. And then wear other things, like wear sheep. Wear ox, wear wombat. <laughs> All right, so that's that's our list. Of course, you know you guys are are not going to be able to put this all together, uh, but that's okay because it's our job to do that. And so we're now going to pause our recordings and come back in 
uh, 20 minutes with our adventure. So holding on, we're going to pause in three, two, one. All right, and we're back. So we're we, back. yep, yep, we've each worked our, our our little our little fingers to the bone to come up with the beginnings of an adventure. And he's not joking, folks. I got writer's cramp going here, so. <laughs> now you know again, it depends on how you're you decide to do it. If you decide to do a, like a Bureau Thirteen adventure, then you have a whole agency involved. But if you're trying. If you decide to have an adventure with a smaller group or just a single individual like the character that was uh, that was described you know um, then this is gonna this could be a very intimate uh, you know kind of adventure so uh, how you know you as the GM are gonna have to uh, decide how many complications you want to add and how many uh, you know and, and whether you want this to be very linear or is it going to be the start of an adventure, which then you have to do follow-up, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, just keep in mind the fact that these are the bare bones or just the start of an adventure, and it's not a fully blown adventure like we could do if we had, like, hours <laughs> to work yeah. on these. Yeah. All right. So who's going to be first? I will go. Let's do this. Okay. Do I need to recite again what my four things were? Or just go right in, just to you know. Uh, maybe just the uh, the object that you were trying to. Because uh, I'm assuming you're going to mention the location and. Oh yeah, yeah, know, yeah, yeah. And of course, the 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 the, the threat is going to be obvious. But yeah. what was the object you had to work in? Sunglasses. Sunglasses. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah, in a meaningful way. Yeah, and and who is the name of your protagonist or victim, depending upon how you win it? Jerry P. Muse. Jerry P. Muse. All righty. <clears throat> okay. The local bureau team is called to the Baltimore area to investigate the disappearance of one Jerry P. Muse. 40-year-old white male purchasing manager for the American Visionary Art Museum across from Federal Hill Park in downtown Baltimore. He had last been seen working late at the museum the night before. He had just procured for the museum a prized selection of African artifacts and was working late to catalog them to make sure it would be done properly. Originally from Stillwater, Oklahoma, Jerry's Great Plains work ethic often kept him from his wife and four children. Upon the team's arrival, as they pose as federal agents, they noticed that a pair of sunglasses now broken are on the floor near the counter where Jerry had been working that night. When security footage is watched, glitches and static in the recording begin to occur as soon as Jerry begins cleaning one of the artifacts off with a small brush. Once the static and glitches disappear, both Jerry and the artifact, a headband made for a Zulu chieftain, are gone with the sunglasses falling to the floor. The agents using their curling detectors will pick up a very faint lingering magical aura. Researching the headband further reveals that the runes along the headband read in Isizulu, he who wears this shall travel the length and breadth of the world. The remaining four artifacts of the regalia of the great Zulu chieftain Shaka Kazen Gakona 
1787 to 1828, are untouched. A breastplate, shoulder piece, you know, with the grassy shoulders, you know, they cover down to about maybe the bicep, a spear, and an armored loincloth. That is one whole written page. All right. Super. So it, 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 it gets the ball rolling. They, they have something to work with. and Yeah. Would they find like a, a is it possible they find a fingerprint of some kind on the uh, sunglasses that might help them with their investigation? Well, they'd probably see it, you know, along the where his fingerprint often, you know, where you grab on the edge, like just behind the lens where you put them on, you know. Yeah, but I'm just saying if someone had actually grabbed him, you know, or I mean, I don't know what's happened with the, you know, the headband. I mean, maybe it's possessed him. Uh, maybe it conjured somebody. I'm just saying is that if it if it did and they, they, they smacked him in the face, they might have left a fingerprint on the... Uh, yeah, uh, or there the... might be blood on there or something. Yeah, well, I had put that as soon as he started, you know, with like one of those little archaeologist brushes, he started brushing off something on the headband and that's when the glitches and the static started appearing in the security footage right. and by the time they cleared he and the headband were gone right so, so that's what i'm saying though is that if it had conjured an individual who grabbed him then possibly it might have left fingerprints on you know uh on the glasses oh yeah and, i understand yeah, yeah and yeah. uh and then you know examining that fingerprint might show that oh hey this is not a human fingerprint or it is a human fingerprint you know, but it's, you know, um, you know, then they could try to run that through a database and see if they could find somebody, you know, and th that could end up being a red herring. Uh, but yeah, because not everybody has fingerprints. I mean, the only time that you ever get fingerprints done is either, let's see, obviously, if you are a criminal and you are being processed. Right. Military, police, and now, you know, kids for, you know, identification you know go to such and such a store and you can get your kid fingerprint photographed and have all this stuff in case right well you can do it at school yeah. for them now yeah 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 that's what i mean things like that they'll do it at schools yeah but not everybody not everybody has their fingerprints i know mine as far as i know mine aren't on file mine aren't but um i know that at one point somebody wanted me to uh uh they, they were taking my thumbprint as a form of identification at the bank uh, and I was also at my old job. They had one of my fingerprints on the time clock. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and when I, at one point I was applying to be a big brother of the big brother, big sister program. Oh yes. And they yes. wanted mm -hmm. to take my fingerprints for that. Ah, and and okay. I was, and I was like, you know, sure is anything. Some, some, you know, mass murderer. Okay. Has gone through and, uh, killed somebody in a room I was just in and I touched something. And so yeah. course, they're going to wear gloves, right? Because they know how to be mass murderers and get away with it. They're yeah. going to come in and find my fresh fingerprints and go, yeah. oh, this is the guy. So I just, you know, I've always been like really hesitant about getting my fingerprints taken. You know, just, yeah. I, it's just, yeah. it's the one little piece of paranoia that I've always had. <laughs> yeah. I had to have mine sent in to to the FBI and ATF since I had a job working with black powder one summer. Ah, yeah. yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That my, there's, there's definitely mine on file somewhere. 
which is why I can never commit a crime. We here at Gaming on the Frontier podcast do not condone criminal activity in way, shape, or form. Yeah, ju- that being said, just means, Jonathan, you have to do it very well. Anyways. Uh, <laughs> Only a oh, no. gene. Remember what uh, what they said in um, um, oh, a body heat. He says, only a genius can get away with a perfect crime, and you ain't no genius. <laughs> <laughs> I think he just both made a movie quote and insulted you, Jonathan. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I, I rape all the people I want. I kill all the people I want, which is zero. So, yeah, right, you know, yeah. and I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> is this some, is this something advertising worthy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but I mean, it was it, it was actually by uh, Penn and Teller. Penn yeah, Penn Gillette, he, he yeah, was yeah. he was saying that he doesn't need religion because you know he's already a moral person. And oh no, it, no, I I know of his. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tweaked it a little bit because I I brought up a matter of Baltimore and I said, wait a minute, there are museums in Baltimore. I know that my friends Carrie and Matt have told me of them. Oh, here's one, the American Visionary Art Museum. Oh, look, it's near Federal Hill Park, you know, right across the street. Oh, let's use this, yeah. And purchasing manager, it's like, man, museums have to have purchasing managers because they purchase stuff in order to show in the museums. They don't get them for free, you know, so. So, yeah, I tweaked it a little with the information to to kind of fit the adventure. I mean, that was just, I was like, okay, this uh, twist it this way, this will work, yeah. Any. And any directions you you if you had more time you'd go you you'd try to develop more. Oh no, the idea I came up with was that he activated it. Well, what I put that it said: "He who wears this shall travel the length and breadth of the world." It was a magic item. Uh-huh. It sent him back. It sent him back in time to the turn of two centuries ago, Africa. Oh, oh, yeah, okay. no. I, I mean, I thought that maybe it would like you know like force him to. To, to to go somewhere, you know, as in like physically get up and, and go. You no, know? <laughs> no, no, no. This took him there and yeah. So basically Jerry P. Muse is now trapped back in the early 1800s in sub-Saharan Africa amidst the Zulu tribes. Anyways. Nice. Well, yeah, I hope, yeah. hopefully he picked up some Zulu language uh, before he made that trip so he could talk yeah. to them. Yeah, well, I mean... Oh, that it! I, I made it that he was brushing it off, and you know he may or may not have known the Zulu language and all that. And if not, yeah, he's gonna. He, it's that South Park thing. You're gonna have a bad time. Yeah, I would. I would. If I was writing this adventure, I would assume that he did, so that when he gets there, he'll actually be able to interact in a meaningful way with the people back then. You yeah, know, because yeah. otherwise, it's gonna be a very frustrating adventure you know, and a very so, short visit yeah yeah it's one of the reasons why we added that to fringeworthies just to stop the, all the craziness yeah. of every time you went to a new world you couldn't speak the lingo so yeah okay uh jonathan you want to go next sure i can go i've got the basic idea here so uh my items were a bottle of paint so uh, setup is our investigating PCs, whether they're with the Bureau or they're on their own, just scooby-ganging it, for whatever reason, sent or lured to Long Beach, California, where last night the Long Beach Museum of Art was ransacked. And I think we might have a bit of a story arc here, a theme. Ah. Oh. Trav's. 
Is Don't worry, I'm, I'm not going that direction. Okay. Right. <laughs> Way to buck the trend. Anyway, details are sketchy, but one witness claims to have seen a small cadre of robo-crabs come out of the ocean at Jun- Junipero Beach and march upon the museum shortly after midnight. How big are oh. these robo-crabs? About the same, about the size of a regular crab, you know. Small, oh, maybe, okay, okay. You know, oh. Just a lot of them. And they look um, robotic. He call, The witness calls them robo-crabs. Go on. Uh, each night following, um, the crab army will leave the beach at midnight and proceed to another museum, hardware store, or arts and crafts store, wrecking each establishment in search of something. Um, if the uh, investigating PCs happen to get... You know, witness firsthand these crabs. There all be sayings, um, something, um, and I actually went and found the translation for it. Give me a second. Where'd it go? Where'd it go? Puyenai tukoroma. And they're all just kind of chanting it in these tiny little metallic voices. And these automatons will be just single-minded in purpose marching towards each location each night. If they get, you know, somebody gets in the way, they'll just, you know, swarm over them, take them apart, keep going. But if they're left alone, they'll just march to wherever they're going, tear the place up looking for something and march back to the ocean. Uh, After two weeks, if the crabs are not stopped, they'll stop on their own. And, well, things will continue to progress. That's the setup. That's all that the uh, PCs have at at start. What's going on is that Stephen Rubin, a well-off oral surgeon, is on a leave of absence in in the hopes of repairing his failing marriage. As a gift to his wife, he bought an antique bottle of paint from a seller in Greece on eBay. But this bottle is no ordinary bottle. It belonged to Hephaestus, god of crafts and art. Oh, Hephaestus has tracked the bottle down to Long Beach and is sending his automatons to search the city and find his bottle of paint. If the search takes too long, he will send larger automatons, and if necessary, his new and improved Talos 2.0. Oh! Okay. Is and there more? That is that is the, the what I have. That is the gist of the adventure. It's up to the it's up to the investigators to figure out what it is that the the automatons are searching for and how to get it back. This seems like the perfect adventure to add, you know, um, uh, gangs of vigilantes. Oh, they, I, one option I, I see could easily be done is instead of an army of automaton crabs, just a single mini Talos, just a tin man. No, no, no. I, I think the crabs are a great idea, but after they attack the first place, then the other storefronts and and people involved are be like, you know, if these things come back, I'm going <laughs> to get me I, a. I'm going to get me one, and b. I, you know, I mean, who's no one's going to fault me for doing some smashing, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah. you know, depending upon what the laws are, you know, you can either show up with some shotguns or you can show up with some. Uh, uh, hockey sticks to kind of like 
puck them out into the uh, out back out into the sand or the water you know some hammer I'm not you know you know I'm just saying is it sounds like some opportunities for some mayhem some good good old boy kind of mayhem <laughs> oh that, yeah that yeah. that you love that, that you're always hearing about happening down by uh, by the you know uh you know by the waterfront and such you know yeah hmm and this is just south of L.A., so you can even involve some some stereotypical L.A. gangs. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or you could even try to get the uh, rosy crustaceans Yeah, yeah, involved. yeah, them. them. Yeah. I was trying yeah. to remember the name of the the sea cult there. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they, would, they would definitely be like, that's, that's far out, man. Robocrabs, man? I haven't heard about them. Let me go out and stick my face in the water and talk to a porpoise. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or a passing tuna. And the thing is, they're not joking. They can do it. Yeah, yeah they can do it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, one of the big clues is that the, the, the phrase that the crabs are all repeating is basically Greek for where's the color. Which oh, closest, nice. Closest translation of where's the paint. Makes sense. Oh. And the thing is, if it, it would be more ancient greek in modern you get somebody it sounds greek but no and you have you'd have to go dig up somebody who and, and of course ancient greek hasn't been spoken in you know I, that's why I, i'm kind of like it's, it's spoken it's all the time in in academic settings yeah. i figure this I'll, yeah. I'll give yeah. them a, i'll give them a freebie and if they can speak greek then hephaestus has been kind of keeping up with modern modern language. yeah yeah because remember, those gods are not gone. They're just hiding and chilling out and relaxing, waiting for somebody to build a church. Yep. Yeah. Right now, he's just kind of messing with Elon on Twitter. Ah! <laughs> it is true. Have faced this. That that's some. And I'm not going to try to divert too much, so we can get Bruce and his story out. That's something I try to put in with gods. It's like gods of artifice and gods, maybe even gods of war. They would be keeping up with technology like, oh, the goddess of the hearth and the goddess of, you know, fertility. You're not going to have the goddess of fertility keeping up on the latest, you know, oh, yes, this genetic treatment for fertility. No. But a lot of these gods are Hephaestus. Oh, no, he'd be keeping up with modern technology. Let's see what these excuse me, these humans are doing now. Oh, they they can read their own genetic code. Oh, OK. Wow. Interesting. Oh, they and they can, you know, sit there and see the bones inside of them. Oh, they've been doing that for like 50 years. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, certain gods I would see if they were of an artificing nature, they would be keeping up with modern tech. Yeah. And they're doing it out, doing it with all the without all the messy flensing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, I I I I honestly have I said it as a joke, but now I do believe. It. Yeah, Hephaestus would be a troll on the internet. Oh no, he'd be sitting there picking on all of them. Yeah, Zuckerberg too. Yeah, just you yeah. know, just all of all of the tech gurus. Yeah, Mr. Carrier Pigeon over here sending messages. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, that's the basic idea: is that um, the the agents or investigators can hopefully maybe stop the crabs w one night, but that'll just cause them to come in greater numbers the next night. If I guess, and I think I said here, if two weeks pass and the crabs aren't stopped. They'll stop on their own because by that point, I figure they have searched all of Long Beach. Yeah. And probably caused a ton of damage. So at that point, Hephaestus is sending out his seagull automatons. And they're a little bit more stealthy. 
they're just flying around looking at stuff. So the only clue that something's still happening at that point will be, you know, the seagull. Uh, there's a lot of seagulls that aren't trying to steal our food anymore. Yeah. And they're flying a little weird over the city. And also they're glinting. Yeah. yeah they seagulls don't <laughs> don't gleam with a one, metallic one flew yeah. next. One flew next to a, a industrial magnet and went pop. Bang. <laughs> And then I figure if another two weeks pass, then Talos yeah, 2. that's 0. when Talos 2 comes in and goes, where's the paint? So part of the adventure is figuring out what they're looking for. And then the next part will be convincing Mr. Rubin to give it up. Okay. I like the ancient Greek myth twist. I like that. All that? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's like bottle of paint and then mythological monsters. So the first thing I did was I searched on Google, God of Art, and it came up Hephaestus. And I'm like, I guess that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right, sir. Mr. Them. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Sheffer, what you got? Let's hear it. Okay, so my adventure takes place in Corpus Christi, Texas, which is the home of 103 ghost sightings and 80 UFO sightings. But that has nothing to do with my adventure. Oh, red herring number one. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this particular story is about uh, uh, Mildred, uh, Mildred K. Nichols. Uh, and Mildred uh, was, about, uh, was about a year from retirement as a technical writer for Del Champs a media company that builds event websites, you know, where they do promotion and registration, hotel liaison, and they have premium store, a premium store. So they sell things like branded hoodies and keychains and things like that for the event. Okay. And so, you know, her, uh, you know, the, the, their company basically just packages all this stuff together and sells it to people who want to have an event. And she's, the, uh, her job is a, as a technical writer. Basically, she writes the text that shows up on the websites. All right, making sure that it, you know, she uses the right, you know, disclaimers and uh, and things like that, and chooses the right font so people people who are color we can read it and things like that. So she's uh, that's what she's that's what she does. However, he says that's not where her heart is. Her heart. You know, and as a matter of fact, you know, when this event takes place, she's attending a death co a rock concert and beer fest that turned out to be way too memorable. Uh, uh, Mildred just loves, you know, uh, uh, you know, extreme rock concerts and all kinds of things. And she's also really big into jewelry. And this is taking place in October. Uh, October specifically uh, starting on the... 14th of October. So, of course, you know that it's not only a beer fest, extreme death rock concert, it's also a costume event. So, she is there, you know, dressed to the nine as a, uh, you know, as, as, a, as a pirate lady uh, with uh, nicely padded hips, which she didn't have to do any padding for. Uh, and uh, uh, a, uh, a slight corset, and she also has a, a bracelet 
that has antique spoons on it. Now, these aren't the spoons that you use to eat your cornflakes. No, these are spoons that you use to, uh, for example, take snuff out of a box or um, to heat up things or just a small, tiny, small, all made out of sterling silver or antique silver, like from pieces of melt, supposedly melted down pieces of eight. And she wears that on her wrist, you know, uh, as, as, which adds to her costume. So she gets, you know, uh, now her methodology, you know, uh, is to go to a weekend event, not just a one-day event. Oh, no. Starts on Friday, ends on Sunday, and what she will do is that she'll get drunk Friday. And by the way, uh, uh, Gaming on the Frontier does not advocate the use of drugs in any way, even though some of the characters in these stories do. <laughs> okay. She gets drunk on Friday, stoned on Saturday, and she's home to church by Sunday, 11 a.m. So, she was there Friday, night had fallen, the whole carnival atmosphere had risen up, people were, you know, uh, uh, walking around in their crazy costumes, zombies, you know, uh, all kinds of critters, you know, uh, were, were all dressed up. There were booths where they were doing spray painting of, of various uh, uh, makeup jobs and things like that. And she had worked her way through the local IPs and was beginning to look for someone to crash with when she saw another patron of the grain by the name of Saul doing his best to drown his sorrows. I mean, he was seriously trying to get blackout drunk. And by the brands he was wearing and drinking, he could afford to. So she sidled up and returned to the concert. Uh, uh, oh, and sidled up and started to get comfortable with Saul. Uh, a little bit later, about, uh, oh, uh, about 10 o'clock or so, uh, they, um, they, they, made a, uh, they, they made a little visit out to his car, which turned out to be a BMW with tinted windows. And... Uh, after uh, a little uh, get to know you, uh, Saul fell asleep. He just kind of, you know, all that alcohol just suddenly caught up with him. And so she got out and uh, popped a hood on his trunk and got a tarp out of it, came back and covered him over just in case, you know, any of the police were going by looking for anybody doing something. But with the tinted windows, it'd be a little hard to see into the back seat, but still. You know, she's a, she's a stand-up gal. So anyways, and went back to the concert. Anyways, uh, now this, this may sound a bit like an auto-run type adventure, but of course, you know, you can, I'm just giving you a sense of it so you can elaborate it. Um, and she finished up about 3 a.m. at the concert. Then she went back to the car, and she heard him snorting and grunting under the tarp she had covered him with. And boy, he needed to wear more deodorant because that stuff just didn't go the distance. So she found someplace else. And the next morning, he shows up and sheepishly buys her breakfast, surprised that she's still around. And she's and at which point she says, "Well, she says the you know I uh, I, I make a big event out of these things. You know, it's uh, you know you he says." He says, just because you're not interested in having a good time 
doesn't mean I'm going to go away. And he says, well, I like that in a woman who sticks around. A woman who sticks around is A1 in my book. So they spent the rest of the day together doing carny attractions. And then as the evening drew closer, he began to get agitated. Mildred assured him that she had his cure and rolled him the biggest blunt he'd ever seen. Well, one thing led to another, and after and about 11 p.m., she noticed he was sh shaking off the dope and getting hairy. What? She barely made it out of the car when something looked like a man wearing Saul's clothes, snarling and, 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 and snapping and looking at her with a hungry look that was a bit too intense, started crawling out of the car after her. Well, she ran as fast as her 65-year-old legacy carrier. Fortunately, the crowd was intense, and Saul was really pressed by it. He started flailing around and assaulting people, and it wasn't very long before security was on the way. Well, they managed to wrestle him to the ground and handcuff him, uh, and, and at which point, you know, if he wanted to have him actually get and assault her, she could, like, smack him as hard as she could, and with those silver uh, uh, bracelet, you know, with the spoons, actually would have, like, stunned him because, you know, allowing the police to get him. Uh, but anyways, um, she, uh, uh, she went back to his B After he got arrested and dragged off site, uh, she went back to his BMW and found his keys laying on the floor of the back seat. Apparently it fell out while he was, you know, uh, you know, doing something. So she drove, she got in the car, drove it home, and wondered if she should follow up on him. Jerry was, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Saul was a nice guy, but you know, not everybody can handle their hash. And that's where I stopped it. Ha <laughs> ha. Is she, you know, is, uh, how, how much, you know, is she going to chase, still chase that, uh, chase him, even though he had a bit of a, uh, of a, you know, anger issue when he was under the influence? I don't know. You know, did she ever really realize that he was, uh, uh, you know, that he was a, 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 a man wolf? Because there were a lot of people in makeup, you know, and he, you know, he could have actually been made up like a man wolf <laughs> you know? but he got a little bit more intense later on you know as he started beefing out you know uh and, and, and by the way uh this is set in uh uh, Octo uh october 14th corpus christi moonrise and it's the full moon by the way mm -hmm. uh is uh uh well the full moon is actually on the 9th but anyways, this is 10, uh, 10.25 p.m. Uh, is, the, is the first one. And the second one was 11.14 p.m. Uh, with, uh, on Saturday. So um, you could, uh, so he, you know, the, the moon was just rising when these things started happening. So anyways, it's, uh, uh, and that's, so that that's the setting. And uh, those are the characters. So uh, it wasn't designed to be primarily a, uh, a Bureau 13 adventure. It was actually designed to maybe be the adventure that got Mildred involved with the Bureau. Oh! You know, that backstory where something weird happens. Yeah. You manage to survive it and then get inducted. 
be this could never... be your backstory. Yeah, this is something that I never you never see. IRG, okay, you know, it's something that your investigators or if it's for we've done for fringe worthy, your IDET come in and do this. It never occurred to me, oh no, this is how things got started and this person got in the bureau was this scenario playing out, and then you get somebody with a badge. Hi, we're from the government. Yeah. Okay. Oh, we're here to help. Especially if she yeah. goes, if she goes and and follows this up and goes down to the police station and finds out, you know, some guy named Saul got arrested for you know assault at the thing, you know, um, and 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 basically trying, you know, I you know I have some of his property. I want to return it. Oh, he's down at the county jail, so forth, you know. So uh, and then followed up, and then while she's trying to follow it up, that's when. The government shows up and says, "Hey, he says, well, you know, why don't you tell me something about what happened there?" And she says, "Well, you know, this this uh, very uh, normal-looking uh, uh, grandmotherly type, even well, you know, it just depends because you could be sixty-five these days and not look like a grandmother, right? Yeah, you know? yeah. But I'm just saying this." Uh, uh, this woman, she's uh, and and she's only like I said, she was only a year away from retirement. Anyways, maybe this is going to be her retirement is working for the bureau. If not, you know, you know, she may have found a soulmate with Saul. Just has to deal with his uh, uh, his 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 issues. Yeah. And as any woman will tell you, all men have issues. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And you don't you don't let the good ones get away just because they have a few of them. And you know, and 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 and, and there's, there's as one one woman said, there's a couple of days there's a couple of days during the month when I'm not very nice to be around. So I don't really mind too much if you have the if you have a similar problem. Yeah, yeah. I forget what television show that was from. I don't think it was Buffy. <laughs> I think it was something else. All right, so that's my that's my uh, uh, Iron GM adventure. So, any questions? I'm I'm still just spun on. Oh no, that's an origin story, not an adventure. Okay, yeah, yeah. Well, it, it is an adventure. Be, you're you're well, playing the adventure. Out. Yeah, 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 yeah. It would be something that would be fun for like a GM and 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 a new player you know, to yeah. do together to set up that, you know, that session zero or negative one so they can basically work their way through that and give and give some real um some real grounding to uh to the character. Cause yeah. it, cause we know that, you know, she knows a lot about, you know, pharmaceuticals. We know that she's uh she's a uh an experienced drinker. We know that she's into costuming and jewelry. Uh, we know she doesn't, you know, she doesn't scare easily. We yeah. know she's really good at writing, uh, spinning stuff, spinning stuff with her writing, her technical writing, and she's very well internet savvy. So, you know, these are all great characteristics for a yeah. uh, a, a budding bureau agent. Oh yeah. And of course, she has a lot of local contacts, not only in the Corpus Christi, but all over all all throughout Texas. And she loves she likes zombies, so she's <laughs> she's probably well known down at the local art house as well. Yeah, but everybody likes zombies. Uh, 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 yeah. Well, you know, some things just you know I have 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 kind of passed, you know, and. Uh, 
and and the you know the zombies is is settled down to a nice you know it's gone from a cataract down to a kind of a lazy river at this point. <laughs> it's still there. Yeah. Okay. It just isn't making making the waves it used to make. I don't have to jump in every time now. That's right. You know. All right. So, anyways, um, so we are at forty nine minutes. Yeah. All right. So, you want to move on to something else? Hmm. Did we have any? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Um, I told you before uh, that I wanted us to do a segment. Uh, actually, a little part before each each session coming, you know, about how we, what got us involved in Fringeworthy and Bureau Thirteen, what attracted it, you know, us to it, and do we still have that same attraction, you know, and uh, just to kind of like talk about, you know, what it is about, you know, you know, a little bit of history of ourselves, but also a little history of the the games. Um, and, um, you know, and, and how we have evolved as gamers. Oh, no, I'm, I'm always about our listeners know more, knowing more about us because it helps them get into our heads. It's like, okay, these people we've been listening to now for coming up on. Yeah, but it's it, 14. Do we, they get to know us a little better and how right. we tick. But it also explains, you know, what we see as the attraction for these games and such. So, uh, does somebody want to start off with that? Because I'd like, I, I kind of like to go last because um, uh, if there's time, uh, uh, I think we, I'd like to mention about my Bureau 13 ga- uh, campaign that just ended. Ah, I can go first, sure. Okay. Okay. Um, as I've mentioned before, I got into TriTac games by, of course, I'm up here in the Detroit area, so I live near Rich, probably within an hour of of the place he was at the time. Who was the creator of yes, TriTech creator games. of, of TriTech games, Bureau 13, Frenchworthy, Incursion, many other games. And I believe it was 92. My now first ex-wife got me an autographed copy of Incursion. And Rich wrote in it with purple pen. I still have that book. It is barely held together. And so I started exploring what I have now since dubbed the Tahulkaverse. Oh, okay, there's this game. There's this background. There's the Enchanting, the Ardana New, and this Robert Harrison guy. All right. Well, so, later, so yeah. were you? Um, were you just trying to do like all the games, or you know, I mean, what you know, what were the what were the games you were initially attracted to? It well, sounds like like it you know, was. Did did you look at uh, in, incursion because you got a gift of the game. Yeah, I got because... it. I got it. I got it from from Shelley's mother, my first wife, Chris. Right, bought it for me as a gift. And just, did she uh, know you wanted it, or was it just a random? Well, she thing? knew. Uh, yeah, it was kind of random. She knew I was into gaming. She was in my gaming groups back when we were like 18, 19, 20. So like late eighties. Oh, this looks neat. And apparently talked to Rich and got me the book, and he autographed it for me. And down the rabbit hole I went. Now, before uh, <laughs> that, what what games were you playing? Uh, okay, I, I kind well, I started obviously with the basic, you know, the red box and the blue box, you know, the basic and expert D and D. Did a lot of Palladium books, including Heroes Unlimited and the first edition of Robotech. A lot of Heroes system. 
our my my original gaming group of which sadly we've lost three over the years we did a lot of champions games that was our main thing and so i kind of skipped second edition D, and we did marvel superheroes we oh god what other game systems did we do we wanted to try the storyteller system but just it didn't it didn't hold we were just kind of eh. uh so it sounded like you were really attracted to games with a lot of crunch to it. Yeah, well, I, I it, it, the wiring, yeah, just it, it, and then I, yeah, and then when I found, when I got incursion from Chris, I saw the famous slash infamous hit location table. If you've seen the 92 books, folks, you know <laughs> of what I speak. It is the most complimented and maligned part of these books. Wow, what a detailed hit location. Oh my God, it's so detailed. Combat take, yeah. And so as I started researching Incursion, I started getting the other books because I realized there there was just something there. My my goofy 20-something-year-old, let's see. Yeah, I was like 21, 22, 23 when I got that. So literally half a lifetime ago for me. And I started getting the other books, and I'm starting to see the connections. Robert Harrison, and yeah, and just, okay, this is a grand, and then I got the 92 Fringeworthy, okay, and the Bureau, and, and okay, I was starting to, and that's when I wrote, Rich, the infamous online paper, 40-question letter. Did I get most of those questions answered? No, 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 no. I got a bunch of material from Rich that was all the background stuff. All the stuff like, oh, here's the, the plans for the Kansas you know, ship for FTL, and oh, here's the Lost Races, and oh, here's the inside incursion where how Brian Rowe made the, the script for the Erdana New. All that stuff. Yes, it didn't answer the question specifically. Those answers I got over the years later from Rich and Bruce and John. And, but it just, it was a big backhoe for going down that rabbit hole more because I was given more background information on this, this metaverse that Rich made. And so I got the FTL 2448, the two books, Fringeworthy, Bureau 13. Okay, got those four books because that was out there. I wasn't really interested in geriatric wars or holes or, okay, fine. He has those, not my cup of tea. I ended up getting involved in the bureau Yahoo groups and whatnot and talking to Richard Cons. And then there was that fateful day he came, you know, we were there at the con, I forget which one. Um, would you like to work on a game? You know, I'm redoing Bureau 13 for that D20 because I remember Russ McDonald, I think, got him a copy of D20 Modern, which. I still remember the, it's sort of a, and we're, and I'm not picking on people who have seizures or anything, but it kind of like your right face kind of right side of your face seizes up and your tongue sticks out just sort of like, <clears throat> that's the expression Rich made when he, he looked at D20 and just couldn't get the rules. And so <laughs> I'm standing there in his old study in Pontiac, me, mcdonald and him and he just made that face i looked at this and just went <clears throat> i said okay all right not your cup of tea but this is the mechanic rich that you're going to be turning it into 
And later on, he asked me, so would you like to run this? And I was like, excuse me, what? Huh? I'm going to walk out of the room. I'm going to come back in. You're going to ask me this again. And I said, yeah, but Rich, you have computer programmers and technical writers and artists and historians and people who have done this. And Rich remembered that letter I wrote him. And he said, because you'll be doing it for the love of this game. And I'm there like Rick and Morty. You SOB, I'm in, you know, with the finger gun. And yeah, then he got me into the podcast and just met Bruce and John and Peter. That part, the rest is history. But I have now, I could not imagine trying to take Tri-Tech games out of my gaming. Anyone who sits in my groups, they know, okay, there is going to be some facet of Tri-Tech games involved, whether there's a fringe portal on this world or it's a bureau team or, yeah. And I do not regret my first wife getting me that book now at all. It is one of the few things I can sit there and say thank you because it just that one book, I can say it changed my life. I'm here now doing this podcast. I have Bruce is my friend now for going on 20 years now. John, hey, 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 don't make it sound like uh, yeah. small beginnings. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, John is still my friend. Peter, you know, when he's in town because he designs military vehicles, we have general dynamics here in Detroit and Camp Grayling up north. Oh, no, he was here last year. He sat in on my show. We sat there BS until midnight, you know, drinking wine and just catching up. And just, I've met so many people because of TriTech. And just, and, and Bruce, you know this, every so often, I, you know, I've been doing this now all this time, and I'm still finding out new things. And even though Rich is gone, oh no, I, I treasure him having been a part of my life, and he still is. And just, uh, when I, 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 I still get the vibe do I still get that same jazz of when I first found this? Yeah, because now I'm passing this on to other people. And I'll explain something about the Bureau. Or I'll explain something about Fringeworthy. And they're like, oh my god. And I'm like, I know, right? <laughs> Just in that evil glen comes out in my eye. Like, yes, this man Kate brought this out in 82. 83. And there is so much other stuff that smacks of these games. And I'll tell, depending on the person, I will tell them certain other little things about the TriTech history that, you know, and just, I think my, my, my sense of discovery has now become a sense of disseminating this long, rich, vibrant history of both the games in verse and what it, how they got to be. Letting other people know this. I've told coworkers, I said, wait a minute, he made this game when? It does this and this. And I said, yeah. And you get to work on this. And yeah. And of course, how much you get paid? I got free product. I'm on the podcast. I do it literally for the love of the game. And it has not stopped. As a matter of fact, it is only enhanced in all this time. So yeah, I just, and I have TriTech family. And it's a wonderful group. Um, and this, it's why I call this, this particular group of games role-playing games best-kept secret. The fan bases die hard. They are hardcore. Rich would sit there and send, on his own dime, some lady would come up, oh, my son mentioned that you made this game. He's in Iraq right now. Rich would get things together. 
bunch of books on his own dime, ship it out to Iraq. There's a pic, I've seen pictures of, you know, members of our nation's military out there in the desert holding these books up, sitting next to an ATV or a tank. Because it's what they do on their off time would be run these games. So, I mean, Rich had that and just, they say the best advertising is word of mouth. And just the, the, the TriTac fan base is just incredible because of the love of this system, this, this metaverse that I said, I call it the Tahulkaverse that he made and we are still experiencing today. Grandchildren are now getting involved in these games. Yep. Some people are uh, started a little earlier than me. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm still waiting on that. As he glares in the direction of wherever his son is. No, no, no. Eric, we're not pushing you. No, no. I, did, I didn't get married until I was 28. So, you know. Yeah, yeah. But I still, just with all of this with TriTac, I don't regret any of it. I am eternally grateful for the chances and, and for Richard seeing something in me that I, and apparently a lot of other people didn't see. And just, I am involved in this now. I would not quit it even with a gun to my head. Again, we hear gaming frontier podcast. Do not condone brandishing weapons against people. Or anything, but yeah. yeah. You'd be like, someone puts a gun to your head. Hey, is that a Glock 740 thing? Yeah, right. Nine, exactly. Yeah, with a yeah. seven inch <laughs> barrel or is that a nine inch barrel? How many in the clip? Yeah. It's like, how do you know this? Yeah. Well, it's like it's like the old Dork Tower joke where Matt, the main character, ends up rattling all this stuff down about a Lucerne hammer. Oh, are you a military historian or are you a weapons expert? And he goes, I'm a gamer. And all of a sudden you see all these people just step away from it. <laughs> like, Ugh, you know, just like they just revealed he was covering Ebola or something. Yeah, but, it's, it's, it's suddenly there was, it felt something under on their underneath their shoe. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. But no, with, with, with all of this with TriTac, I don't regret any of it. I mean, there were times with the Bureau 13 doing it, I had a little bit of trouble. And I had to be, you know, give the little kick in the rear to get it done. But once I did and finally saw that finished Bureau 13 OGL and my name on that cover, I was there at a con. Rich handed me the CD and I had to sit out. Because, oh, my God. Yeah, I didn't get to be a comic book writer. The stories from which the name Trav comes from. But I'm a role playing game designer. That was the other thing I said that I was going to be. And I got that. So, yeah, that is a big black check off my bucket list. And it is all thanks to Rich to Hulk. So, yeah, I just I don't regret any of this ride whatsoever. And I want to keep just. Telling them horses, yeah, and keep going. This is Bruce Sheffer saying. There are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Gaming on the Frontier podcast is wholly owned by its hosts. It is released under the Creative Commons 3.0 license. No commercial reproduction and any use of any element of the podcast must be attributed to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast.
Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org colon 8027.